Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. My name is Julian Carl, CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group. And today I'm really happy to share with you another episode. Today I speak with Jackie Scammell, who is the author of Creating a Customer Service Mindset. It's a fantastic book that Jackie has written. And during the course of the conversation, we're really going to explore the importance of leadership from a customer service perspective. And one of the most important things that we actually look for or go through is this idea of these six service mindsets and I think that uh, as we talk about those in a bit of detail you really get some value out of it so happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. So welcome, Jackie, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. So happy to have you part of the show so that everyone uh, has a little bit of an idea about who you are. Who is Jackie Scammell? Who is Jackie Scammell? Um, Thank you for having me, Julian. Well, I'm a Port Macquarie girl, born and bred um, up on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Certainly couldn't wait to get out and, and work when I was a young girl and um, that has carried through throughout my whole life and career. Love working. Extremely curious by nature. <laughs> so love to explore the world, travel, have seen many, many countries and done some amazing things. And, yeah, my parents were a huge role model when it came to me at work and, and service. My dad in particular, he, he served in Vietnam War. 1968 so he taught me a lot about what it means to serve not just in uniform but a whole way of life approach and all of that's led me to current day living here based in Melbourne no surprise I love my food I love my coffee and really any sort of experience that involves music arts travel reading and weave that in with, you know, good hard work and a, and a strong practice of yoga, meditation and, and, and mindfulness. So why did you decide to write this uh, book, which listeners can't see, but I'm holding up and it looks great. And I'm going to give a, give a shout out straight away that uh, Jackie and I share a publisher in, in Major Street. So a shout out to, to Leslie. Uh, so why did you decide to write Creating a Customer Service Mindset? Mm, it was a book I had to get out, <laughs> um, little partly because of my curiosity and, and nature of just personal drive and wanting to help organisations and leaders. But, you know, I guess on more of a holistic level, the book is simple and it reminds us that service can really unlock a lot of things in society. You know, we don't feel safe anymore. We've got Workers have got a huge responsibility in terms of taking care of customers when they're in their presence, you know, being vigilant. You know, look at the um, Ariana Grande concert. You know, there was a lot of questions around how that could have been prevented in terms of the, the security service, for example. We live in a world of discrimination and service never discriminates. You know, it's, it's the one human-to-human interaction that you would like to think that if there's a product or service that you want to buy and you're willing to pay for that, then you would be treated like you would expect to be treated. And I think on a more sort of global imperative 
point of view, for me, this book taps into the importance of human connections. And what we're learning from good research is that we're lonelier than ever before as a society. It's it's now a huge major health hazard, loneliness. It's it's a it's a bigger bigger um, deadlier disease than obesity. And service can literally be um, a way of keeping and maintaining those those meaningful connections and um, you know you never know what's going on for someone they could walk into your store your cafe they could pick up the phone and speak to someone um, in a customer service contact center and that could be the only human interaction they have in that whole day so I think for me the book was really starting to unpack and remind people that something like service is is an absolute honor and privilege in society and we can all remember to be more caring, more kind, pay attention out. And I wanted to give it a bit of a framework, so I thought, let's write a book and let's help leaders and organisations approach service in, in a way that we all know how, which is to be a little bit more human about it. And what is your definition of customer service? Yeah, well, in the late 80s, there was an academic guy by the name of Klaus, and he presented a theory that customer experience is related to an employee experience. And my modern spin on that is yes, yes, and yes. Like service experiences when there's humans involved really is a direct mirror reflection of how that employee shows up. So for me, service is a feeling. It's outside of the price, the product, the convenience, the speed. It's the primary thing that determines was it good is how that customer feels and that's that's the, the role that employees have in, in, in customer service so for me my definition of service is service is human it's a feeling and it really is tapping into qualities such as care kindness and curiosity that we we all know how to do reminding ourselves that it's actually that the feeling that you create for the customer is their interpretation of was this a good experience or not. So I really enjoyed reading your book and there's a, there's a small excerpt that I, I think is uh, very much um, a great place for us to start to, to drive this, this conversation about customers and, and leadership. And it's uh, from the, the start, uh, how to serve. Leaders drive the transformation. Rather than look at complex customer service strategies and ways to engage your staff, this book talks to the heart of the most powerful and influential people in your business, you, the frontline leadership team. As a leader, you are responsible for your people who are responsible for your results. Even if everyone in your organization is already excellent at what they do, sharpening their emotional competencies and their behaviors at work will contribute to a service mindset that will give you and your organization an extra edge pretty powerful mm. putting it all on the frontline leaders I like it yeah and it's the flipping of that approach and that methodology that I'm convinced is the most efficient economic and effective way of addressing service culture particularly in a large organization where you've got hundreds if not thousands of employees spread out across multiple locations or sites in some cases particularly here in Australia different states 
how do you get that consistency of a company brand when in some cases your frontline employees might be quite transient, you might have a lot of people coming and going and if I was to spend my own money developing my own leaders in a large organisation of that size, I would absolutely invest all my time and energy into the frontline leaders. I think what's happening in society is that we've become extremely left brain focused. We have this incredible desire to be highly efficient, so we apply a lot of logic, a lot of systems, a lot of procedures, and I reckon we need to just come back a little bit and bring in a little bit more right brain into how we approach working with people. And so trusting things like emotions, talking about feelings, intuition, and having more of a holistic approach. And this is this is the work that I see is quite profound with frontline leaders, is reminding them, not, not training them to serve their people, to serve customers, not training them to care, but actually reminding them that you can do this. You actually have um, the ability to show a genuine interest in your staff, which inspires them to show an interest in the customers. You, you know how to show empathy. You know how to bring heart to a conversation. You, you understand the importance of energy when energy is exchanged between humans. So if you are focused more on how you're being as a leader, that's going to resonate with your frontline employees, which will absolutely resonate with the customers. And, yeah, this, this book is really asking leaders to stand up and take responsibility for the service culture. And rather than train employees to do X, Y and Z, wake them up. Remind them on a daily basis to be present, be attention out, be curious and interested in the human being in front of you. And, and unfortunately, because we're in a busy world and we're so distracted, we need to be reminded daily. <laughs> and we need, we need great leaders that keep shining that light on our role. So I do not shy or hide away from the fact that I, I believe that it has to start with leaders first. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of putting all the blame on leaders. Anyone that's been through one of my programs, I'll say it's all your fault because you know, leaders need to take that responsibility should they be in the role. So yeah. you you talk about, uh, you just mentioned then about the, the daily reminder. That sort of leads me nicely into this idea of the, the two sorts of advantages you talk about in your book, one being a competitive advantage and one being a cumulative advantage. Are you able to explore that a little bit for the listeners? Yeah, well, competitive advantage, we've, we've, that's a great buzzword that you hear in, you know, the, the business world. And, you know, for me, quite simply, a competitive advantage can be your price, your product, convenience, some sort of quirkiness about your brand. It could be a great value proposition, the right time. But does it give a customer enough to make sure that you're always front and centre of their mind when they're going to seek your product or service? And does it build trust? And so that was the question that I asked myself when I went through the book and realised that actually, for me, I know as a customer, when I feel that I really trust a brand, it's it's something that's accumulated over time. So that's where this idea of a cumulative advantage came from. And, and I think that, like I'll give you an example. I frequent many cafes here in South Melbourne and I love getting a great coffee in the morning after yoga before I start my day. And it's actually a really important ritual for me. I can put my hand on heart and say that 
All of them have got a competitive advantage. I can get a great coffee from many of them, great food, similar price, and they're all fairly convenient. But I'm not really won over by any of them at the moment. And I'm looking for someone who's got that cumulative advantage that I've, over time, created this enormous trust between them where no matter what, when I come out of that yoga studio every morning, they're the first place I'll go to. And I think that's the difference, you know, is come hell or high water, I'm going to go to them. So that, I hope I've explained the difference, but it's it's this trust that, that as you know, in any kind of relationship, it takes time to form trust. And also an effort from them to want you to trust them. Right. And that's the stuff, Julian, the effort is the stuff that's so easy. It's things like just, just use my name. <laughs> like I've been here three or four times this week. Yeah. Why don't you find out what my name is and maybe use it? Or um, take an interest in the fact that, you know, I'm there most most mornings and um, you might want to ask a question like, oh, so where, where have you come this morning? Where are you going? And just build some relational conversation that makes me feel like they're genuinely interested in me and they're treating me as a human and not as a number. And it's those little things, those little small interactions that really build trust over time. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate my coffee shops. I've got two. <laughs> 50 metres from each other, I won't go to one and I'll always go to the other. And it's only got to do with the fact that they at least smile at me yeah. when I walk in there and say, hey, how are you going? So simple. A smile. Yeah. So why, why, why do you think it is that we have such a challenge with customer service? I, I think we're, we're approaching the model of customer service all wrong and I think therefore it's broken. I think... The challenge we have is that we've almost commoditized, systemized, brainwashed staff to do things a certain way at the front line that we haven't actually given them sort of the reins and empowered them enough to just bring their uniqueness, them themselves to that situation. So in the book, I talk a lot about behaviors versus rules, and it's incredible how much still in, in today's society when I work deeply and intimately with companies that they're still laden with rules and their employees at the front line, there's almost a, a culture of fear and it's like, well, if I step outside of these rules or this policy, I'm going to get into trouble. But in actual fact, there hasn't been clarity around, well, you can use some common sense or you can use some good judgment in a situation and put yourself in the customer's shoes and go, well, if I was in that situation, of course I would refund that hat for $50 or, you know, and, and kind of go outside of the rules and the policy. And so I do really think the reason why is, is that organisations have got the model wrong and we're teaching the wrong things. We don't need to be taught how to care and be kind and use good judgment. We just need to be reminded. Because I think at, at, at the moment, we're in such a problem state with customer service that when you get good customer service, it's quite unexpected and it's quite, you really, you feel quite shocked because you're so used to average that when you get good, suddenly, oh, that's what I should be getting more of the time. Totally. It's, yeah. It's, and it's, and you've just highlighted how easy it is to be a great company or a great brand by doing things that are unexpected. 
There's a fantastic book called The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, a couple of Americans. Brilliant book about that very point. The power of moments that last and are memorable. They, they endure a memory where you walk away and you have to share it with your friends and family. And I think that's that's the thing we all want in an, in a, an experience when we're customers. We're looking for someone to exceed the expectation of what we have or surprise and delight us, as cliche as it sounds. And it is actually really easy to do. And that's why I'm quite passionate about this topic because I think it's just revealing some simple little tweaks and adjustments and and a mindset which really can unlock your service. So talking about mindsets, we are going to explore the, the, the six different mindsets which you, you go through. One thing that I thought was really important that I wanted to touch on before we get to that piece is about this idea of the different types of leaders because Synergen does a lot of training with leadership and so we're used to all these different models and then I came across yours and it was quite a, quite a different model to one that I had seen before. So I'm very curious if you can explore the sort of the, the five different types of leaders as you define them. Yeah, so I, um, I've had a, the privilege of observing and working with and developing many leaders through my career. Wembley National Stadium, the Australian Open. And these are leaders that are dealing with lots of staff, high intense environments. And this model that you refer to, the conscious frontline leader, stemmed from those experiences and what I noticed was you've either got it at the bottom of sort of the leader type someone who's missing and at the very top of the leader type you've got a conscious leader and in between you've got varied levels of that so the missing leader is is what it sounds and what it what it says it is which is they're they're either nowhere to be seen (laughs) when you need them the most or they're just simply not present and they're going through the motions they're good at being busy, and I reckon we've all seen a leader who's like, I'm always busy, I'm always busy, but you think, well, but what are you actually achieving? Um, and the problem with these guys is that the damage that they cause to the to the frontline staff is often things like high turnover, no trust, um, and employees just don't really have the respect for the leader and end up, you know, getting wooed and sort of romanticised by other places or other places of interest, you know. So... Um, Missing leader is at the very worst of the ladder. And then you move into what I would call a functioning leader. Now, a functioning leader sounds okay. They'll get the job done. You know, they'll know, they'll know how to open up a store, close a store, cash up the till, do a certain procedure. They're probably very technically sound. And maybe they've been promoted to a leadership role because they're the best at what they do at the task. The challenge is, is that it's very transactional. And so there's still a disconnection with the team because they haven't quite figured out that leadership is not about what you do, but it's how you're being. And uh, they're simply focused on the task and they're missing a lot of emotional cues and nonverbal cues that their employees are giving them day in, day out. So this is impacting the performance of the employees, which clearly impacts the customer service as well. And then moving up to the third level is what we call the informing leader. So this this person is someone who's got the knowledge, they've got the know-how, they might even have a fair bit of respect and trust, but they're very typically telling and not asking. And so what I see the the, the opportunity for an informing leader is that there's a, a missed opportunity in developing their employees. 
So an informing leader often is someone who becomes quite exhausted and burnt out because they feel like the staff just have to depend on them for everything and anything and no one can get anything done when they're not in the room. But the, the challenge there is that, well, if you're not developing the staff and asking them great questions to think for themselves, then of course they're going to depend on you. So rather than, than tell, perhaps you should be asking more questions. And then we move into the motivating leader. And the motivating leader is certainly above the line. This is We want more of these types of leaders. However, you know, as you know, Julian, that motivation doesn't last. It's, it's great. It gives you a nice spike and it gives you a little bit of a peak of interest but the spirits once they're they're sort of high for a while they'll they'll eventually sort of you know under pressure potentially dissolve so motivation alone is not enough and um, we need to stay switched on for several hours which is not normal for humans you know we we need to re-energize ourselves as well but a motivating leader needs to sustain their influence and yeah, I would challenge a, mo a motivating leader to be more conscious, which is the, the final step of the ladder. And a conscious leader is someone who is present and mindful throughout most of the day. And they're asking great questions. They're listening deeply. Um, they're seeing things through employees' eyes and customers' eyes. And they've got a workforce that's consistently engaged because they're, because they're present and mindful. And I think conscious leadership, you know, there's a big movement around conscious leadership, but this is where service environments can really hum when you've got leaders that are walking on the floor totally dedicated to the people. So where are you finding in that table most of your leaders that you come into contact with? Where are they sort of getting? Interestingly, I get a lot of comments that people feel that they bounce between all of them throughout periods of the day, week, month. And um, the way I've presented this model is aspirationally. That's why there's a, there's a real strong sort of mindfulness tone throughout the book because I think all of us, you know, whether we're in leadership roles or not, we're better when we're present. We're better when we're focused on what's in front of us as opposed to all the voices in our head and all the distractions that buzz through our brains. So I do find that a lot of people feel they, they dance up and down the ladder. What I like about this model is it brings attention to how Leaders' behaviours impact themselves individually. So it's a really good conversation starter around your own well-being, your own performance, your own happiness at work. But equally, the model then points to how that impacts the employee's performance and then, of course, finally how that impacts the customer's overall sense of feeling and trust towards the brand. It just points everything back to the leader. So, so the first half of the books I think goes through a couple of the key things uh, and your perspective on customer service but then you sort of get to I think which is the real the real guts of it which is these six mindsets so I think I really want to give you the time to explore each one of those so did you want to give a overview of the six first and then we'll explore each one this took a while to evolve this model and I was really pleased when I landed on the word mindset because it, I think that that really is the crux of what we need to focus on, like I said, in an eight, ten hour day when there's a lot of stuff coming at us, emails pinging, SMSs going off, you know, other people's importance and other people's busyness coming towards you. It's the, it's the mindset and how you choose to be in that moment that really determines the, the impact of your response. So this idea of the fact that we can't control other humans and 
People are people are people. Errors are going to happen. We're going to make mistakes. Stuff happens all the time. And I reflected on what I was taught when I was a young 16-year-old at McDonald's, you know, back in the, the early 90s. Back then it was all about teaching people steps and standards of service, a sequence of service, if you like, and it was scripted. It was it was so verbatim, the six steps of service. I can still remember it to this day. It's ingrained in my brain. And it didn't matter who was in front of me and it didn't matter whether they were in a hurry or whether they were a 12-year-old kid or a 50-year-old mum or a 90-year-old grandma. I just riffed off those six steps of service and like a little mini robot, you know. But society's evolved now through the generations and we no longer want that sort of treatment. We want to be felt like it's unique. We want it to be felt like it's personal, make it meaningful, make it, you know, relevant to me in that moment. And I think the only way we can empower staff to do that rather than just dish up six steps of service like we did at Macca's is we have to ask them to employ a mindset. So the mindset is based around, the six mindsets is based more around how you're behaving and less about the steps and standards of what you should do. So would you like me to go into those six or? Yeah. Yeah. Please okay. Do. All right. So the six mindsets is, is, is empathy, questions, energy, heart, purpose, practice. So empathy, we start with that. And, and this is really about leaders learning to understand how their staff are feeling and staff gaining empathy themselves so they can build rapid rapport with customers. So this is things like being able to read customers' emotions through their eyes, reading nonverbal cues, seeing things from their point of view, walking in their shoes and seeing the world from their point of view. And again, you know, my five-year-old niece, she's got empathy down pat at the moment and I think most of us have learned empathy at a very young age but I think we've just forgotten and... I think empathy is a, is a beautiful skill that we can carry throughout all parts of our life and just take a breath, four seconds, and go, huh, what's going on for this person? How might, how might I see this situation through their eyes? And it's incredible how that might diffuse your angst or your, your tone towards that person in that situation. The second mindset questions, this is all about ask, don't tell, and I think... If any organisation is listening to this podcast right now and thinking, what's the one thing I can do? I reckon it's get really good at asking questions. Questions unlock service. They Questions lead to conversations where you, you seek more knowledge, where you make less assumptions and you're working with facts and what you know. And so if you think about leaders asking questions of their staff, that really encourages staff to think for themselves, to create solutions when they're problem solving themselves and and it develops stuff but equally when you ask questions of the customer the stuff you can find out in in a one minute or 20 minute interaction is incredible but questions you think about it if someone says where are you off to next or oh, who are you buying this for and if it's done with a genuine tone as a customer you, you all of a sudden you feel like they actually genuinely care about me or they're actually genuinely taking interest in me and this, again, builds that rapid rapport. So I think questions is, is critical. The third mindset, energy. This is all about reminding us that there's this thing in our brains called the mirror neurons that takes place where 
we we pick up on each other's vibration and and this energy that takes place between two humans it's like the zing that charges electricity to an appliance that's what happens between our brains when when two humans meet and no words need to take place for energy to be, to be felt as as we know so this mindset's all about don't don't be um, blinded by the myth that service needs to be upbeat and happy and you know all fluffy if if an employee is um, is reading a customer's energy and can see that they're distressed or they're in a hurry or they don't want to be there, be real, call it out. Don't you know offer up a fake greeting or a, a fake sort of you know have a nice night. Just say it how it is and and read the room and follow the energy of what's transpiring between you and that other person because that's where authenticity can take place. And then the fourth mindset is heart. Dale Carnegie, who wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People, he talks about this, you know, when people, when dealing with people, remember you're not dealing with logic but creatures of, of, of emotions. And service is all about heart. Now, I speak about a service mindset being very similar to a love mindset. You know, you what you bring to a relationship, a loving relationship, is, is often what you're going to get back. And so this chapter talks about serve with nothing to gain with no need to get anything back. And I think I even talk about what it means to be a servant and, and I refer to, you know, just that, that selfless giving and through the eyes of love and bringing heart to a conversation and, and, and heart to that interaction and realising that if you bring more heart and less head to an interaction, you, you'll probably connect with that person deeply in, in a matter of seconds. And also remembering, as I mentioned earlier, on service never discriminates. And so I think that's where the heart chapter really draws out, you know, how service is all about love. In fact, love is the way forward in service, and I think we need a lot more of that in this world. The fifth mindset, purpose, this this is reminding us as leaders that if you can't as an organisation explain why you exist beyond making money or fixing problems, then it's going to be really hard for employees to connect to something bigger than just their job their paycheck. Employees love to understand how are they contributing to the greater good here? How are they contributing to the collective? And the purpose chapter really unpacks don't forget to have your why. Don't forget to talk about your why. Don't forget to connect your employees to why. And there's there's great companies that are doing this really well and, and there's some really great global examples too. You know, Disney's renowned for its extraordinary service and their purpose is creating the happiest place on earth. And what I remind people in this purpose chapter is that if you can articulate your company purpose really clearly to an employee, the beautiful thing about that is at any given moment, an employee can check in with themselves and go, hmm, am I doing that? So for the Disney example, an employee could go, am I creating the happiest place on earth right now? And it's like almost like a shift, like a reset. It can just bring them right back into an alignment of a mindset where they go, hmm, no, I'm not. Maybe I should do something about that. Maybe there's an adjustment I need to make. So having a really clean, simple purpose. One of my clients I work with, their, their purpose statement is, everything we do leaves a positive and memorable feeling. And it's the thing, it's the statement that just brings them right back to to check in with themselves. Are you doing that now? And if not, make an adjustment. So I think the power of purpose is, is gold. And then, of course, the sixth mindset, which 
kind of brings it all together, but it 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 deserves its own mindset within itself. Is is practice. I remember. I talk about this story in the book. I remember one of my Australian Open experiences. It was the year that Federer won the Grand Slam, and he, um, well, he's won he's won many here in, in Australia. But it was it was one of the years when I was there to witness it. And the very next morning, I was hearing his support crew and his sort of entourage talking about his practice that morning, and I couldn't believe it that here here is this global mega superstar, superhero to so many people. He's just won an Australian Grand Open, Grand Slam Open and the very next morning he's back out on the court practising. And I thought it was a beautiful story for me to remember in that you're only as good as your last performance and that deliberate practice as a leader is absolutely critical. So it's, all, it's, you know, it's not enough just to say I'm practising asking great questions. What deliberate practice is is looking at how could you have done better so reflecting on, okay, I'm practicing asking questions, but how did, did I get the right impact or how did that land or what could I have changed or tweaked and going back and just refining and polishing. And, you know, for me, like I use yoga as a metaphor with this because for me I've been practicing yoga for 12 years and every time I get on the mat it's different, every time. And it doesn't matter what the teacher says or what pose I'm doing and I've done it a thousand times before, it's different because I'm conscious, I'm present, I'm thinking about, oh, could I adjust this? Could I move that? And I think for us as leaders, this this mindset of practicing and, and never feeling that we've achieved all, never feeling that we've we know it all, and, and being really humble and realizing that we don't have all the answers and it's a daily practice. That's where that chapter sort of ends, if you like. Well, thanks for the overview. I, I'm, I'm a bit keen to explore couple of those chapters in greater detail starting with chapter one which is about the or the mindset one which is about the the empathy i'm curious to know how you view the empathy relationship between senior leaders and frontline leaders because i think from what you're saying that's going to have a direct correlation to how those frontline leaders deal with the customers mm. so for me i'm finding that a challenge in, in a lot of the clients we work with that there's a there's, a, there's not quite the quality of relationship but from an empathy point of view mm. between the senior leaders and the frontline leaders. How do we, how do we deal with that? I, I feel like sometimes even the definition of who is our customer could be deeply unpacked in organisations because in, in, in my mind as I've been doing this work over the last decade and feeling more and more aligned to what it means to serve, I think a senior leader is there to serve their frontline leaders, right, their teams. And in many ways, if a senior leader or an, or an executive or a director of a division had a mindset that actually I'm here to serve my team, I reckon that would even just shift some of their thinking and their mindset. And they would see that a, a mindset like empathy, developing their own empathy is going to sort of develop those relationships, make them far more effective and, you know, skills like empathy is the oil that sort of, you know, runs the machine of the relationship more and more because empathy is so under underutilised, I think. And knowing and trusting that if me, the senior leader, is working really closely on empathy with my frontline leaders, they're probably going to do the same with the frontline teams and there will be this beautiful ripple effect that takes place. So I think it all comes back to people's mindsets of, 
who they're being, what the, what the identities that they have in that sort of organisational hierarchy and what meaning they've given to that and maybe just reminding them that you're actually there to serve your teams and how we serve people with empathy is a great place to start. Reflection is a key skill that I encourage people to do if, they, if they're wanting to develop their empathy. I think empathy is one of those things where you really do need to stop and pause and look back on a day or look back on a conversation and go, hmm, I went in with an intention of X and I came out getting the response or the reaction of Y. What went on there? And it, and it gives you a really good base to ask yourself questions like, was I really listening to that person? Did I read them, not just what they were saying, but was I reading their nonverbal cues, their body language? Did I listen to the silence and the things that they weren't saying? You know, and I think when we reflect, we can really develop our empathy because we, we, we start to learn how we're showing up. Do you think the pressures of business are impacting people's abilities to demonstrate any level of empathy? Yes. I was with a client earlier this week and one of the senior leaders said, Jackie, we're so we're so overly committed and everyone's not coping because we've got too much to do. And he was he was reflecting on the fact that he felt that people's resilience and their ability to be juggling three or four major things at once was was a thing of the past. And in fact, people can't really cope with more than two things happening. At once, and we were, we were sort of we were, we were deep in conversation about it, and I think yes, you know, when we're so task results outcome focused, we forget who we're being in that moment, and in fact, so many of the answers are probably right in front of us, but we're missing them because we're so busy. Yeah, I think that there's more and more being expected of leaders with less and less resources being provided to them, so it's very much the. You know, task focus as, a, as opposed to the whole transformation focus. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm keen to explore with you your second mindset, which was questions, because I think I'm a big believer in the power of questions. Why, why is, is that a lost thing when people are training customer service or when people are talking about customer service? Then why are we afraid to ask questions? Oh, there's a few things that come to mind there I think one of the one of the reasons is we're just we're being lazy you know it's very easy to ask a, a closed question where you know you're going to get a yes or no answer you know and a, and a closed question being a sentence that starts with are could will should can do and you know and, and you know that if you ask a question that starts with any of those types of words you're just going to get a yes or no and because we're so busy you know to your to previous point it's the quickest route, you know, it's the quickest journey to take. And so there's a little bit of like urgency and laziness that I think has left us forgetting how to ask great questions, great questions that lead to conversations that are open, that start with words like who, what, when, why, where, how, that actually needs or requires the person in front of you to give you more than a yes no answer and there you go you've got a conversation so I think the busyness the laziness I think in in our multicultural society here in Australia in particular we 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 have a lot of employees at the front line where English is their second language and so I think sometimes questions is a bit of a confidence issue as well and I I love working 
with people where English is the second language because when we unlock the questions piece and we start looking at the vocabulary and how questions can be a lot easier than this fear of, oh, but I don't know what to ask. And we just look, we just sort of, you know, play out scenarios and look at different examples. For example, you know, some of my clients in the airport space, a great question to ask a customer when they're leaving, a parting question would be, so where are you off to today? You know, well, where have you come from? And just that simple question shows the customer once again that, you know, you're interested in them, you're interested in who they are and where they're heading off to or where they're coming from as opposed to thanks for your money and see you next time, you know. So I, I just, I think we've just, yeah, confidence, laziness, urgency. There's no doubt that questions as a leader is the longer route. It takes a little bit more time, but it's most definitely the most progressive route because you learn stuff that you didn't know and the person with you also learns stuff typically that they didn't know. So practice questions because they I, I really believe they are they're one of the magic formulas in, in service environments. So you spoke earlier about mindset number three, which is your energy. Mm. It's one I'm particularly curious about because I think that a lot of leaders don't necessarily read the energy between people. They just have their idea and they just run with it. Why, why aren't leaders actually being more present and focusing on what's actually happening between themselves and their team or vice versa? They've got their head in their to-do lists potentially. Yeah. <laughs> they're busy being busy. They're, you know, checking emails. They're, they're back of house in an office. They're, they're on the phone. They're task-focused. You know, stuff needs to get done. I get it. I've been there. I remember there was a huge shift for me around this particular mindset when I was about 30 and it was it was the first year I was running the Australian Open the food and beverage contract down at Melbourne Park so I had a few thousand staff and a big big P&L big responsibility and a lot of customers you know they get a million customers through the gates there now for this event and there was this huge mindset shift for me this particular year where I realized that actually the best thing you can do as a new GM who's got a lot of responsibility and is a little bit overwhelmed, is just to be the best that you can be in in the moments when you're walking the floor, you're walking the precinct, you're talking with your staff, you're talking with the customers. And so what I started to play with was drop your to-do list when you leave the office and when you get out on that floor and you're work, walking the floor with your, with your frontline leaders and with your people, be there for them and with them and be the observer, be the one that sees things that they potentially might not see and help them see it too. And what I noticed was the more I was present and mindful during that 14-day event, which is a big event, the more energy I got. So it was like this beautiful surprise because I, I thought I was doing something that was going to create more work for me later because I wasn't, you know, doing the work and I was just sort of walking around being present. But what I actually noticed was problem solving became easier. Um, my conversations flowed easier. People were thinking for themselves and I wasn't feeling as heavy with all of the responsibility. And the energy that I got back from other people because I was giving them myself, all of myself, present, mindful self, was that they actually renewed my energy. And when you're doing 15-hour days for 14-plus days for a large event like that, you need anything you can get to sustain your energy. So I reckon there's 
there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that response. But I think that um, if you can give someone your energy fully present, fully attention out, you will get back more than you realise and um, it will sustain you for the day. So I encourage listeners to try it on because it, it worked for me and um, hence it features as a chapter in the book. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about try it on, how do, how do leaders look at the next mindset, which is heart? Because I'm finding that some people, some leaders I come into contact with are making a clear distinction in their own minds about how much of themselves they want to give and how much they want to know about their teams and the people that report to them. They're, they're sort of they're still trying to separate the personal and the professional. I personally think that's sort of almost gone now. And but they they're struggling and say, no, I don't want to know about what's going on in so and so's life. Mm. You know, they're my employee, they're here. How do leaders try on this idea of the heart, the mindset of the heart? Yeah, that's it's a fascinating one. And I've been through a real personal tug of war with this myself you know as a young woman coming up the ranks in in corporate Australia and and for several years in England too where I was often the only female around a boardroom table I was continually told you know you wear your heart on your sleeve don't don't show expression don't you're too emotional I mean oh my god if I had a dollar for every time I heard that in my (laughs) in my you know 30 years of, of, of working, or, you know, I would, I'd be a rich woman. But I just think that's, that's the wrong story. And, ah, oh, if I could, you know, refer to the, the work of Brene Brown who talks about, you know, vulnerability and how crucial it is to, to be vulnerable as a leader. But we, this is a new concept for us, you know. We were always told not to be. So... I get why you're seeing a lot of leaders grappling with this idea of like, oh, you know, home stuff stays at home and work stuff stays at work and, you know, that that old saying, leave your baggage at the door. But it's just not physically possible. And I think that the more real conversations we have with our people, the more we see them and the more they felt seen and heard, not listened to, but really heard and understood, the more connection you're going to have in the workplace which is only going to have a positive impact on the customer it just does it's just it, it can only be that way so I, I'm I'm not saying that we've got to get into deep and meaningfuls in the in the kitchen tea room and have heart-to-heart conversations on the shop floor but I am saying that there's ways to practically create rituals and space for teams to get together socially, go out and have a Friday lunch, um, do lunch and learns where we get around a table at lunchtime and we 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 talk about what's on people's minds in a in a structured sort of formal way, but not in a structured formal way because it's over lunch and it's over a laugh. Sit down with employees over a coffee and just and just open up the conversation with how are you? Full stop. Silence. That's it. And just checking in with them and and what we're really saying is I care about you your well-being is important to me you don't need to give me your, your personal private stuff but if you're not okay then our customers won't be okay so how are you so I think it's you know it's 
I think there's a shift, Julian. I think people are starting to understand this in theory, but I think there's a lot of this stuff still ingrained that we've got to be brave, we've got to be strong. But my God, like one of the one of the statements I always say in my workshops is leaders don't have all the answers. And I and I remind people, God, how much relief do you feel when you're given permission to not have all the answers? So just be vulnerable, be seen as a leader and and Bring heart to a conversation in a way that you're asking staff to, to co-create and contribute because if we walk around thinking we've got all the answers, we walk around with more ego and we walk around thinking we know it all and that just puts barriers up and keeps people at a distance, I think. So I am conscious of, of our, our time here, so I just want to quickly combine the last two, purpose and practice in terms of these mindsets. How do, how do we sort of... Uh, get people to think and reflect about the idea of their purpose in terms of customer and how they practice it? If you're clear on why you're doing something, then that intent is always going to be your true north. So get 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 really crystal clear as an organisation on why you exist and then be explicit about explaining that and communicating that to the whole workforce. And then when it comes to practice, again, a lot of there's a lot of clever people out there that know a lot of this stuff in theory and they get it and you know they might walk away from a conference or a training program and they'll 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 put it into practice for a few weeks but then the default of whatever they were doing before comes back in so i think you know for practice it's about genuinely really committing to it and committing to it for more than a few weeks but for like a good solid 60 90 days um robin sharma a brilliant author who wrote The Monk Who Sold His Red Ferrari and The Leader Who Has No Title, he talks about it takes 66 days to rewire a new habit. And so I I always, and, he, and, and, his, and his quote is, change is hard at first, messy in the middle and beautiful at the end. And I think if you look at a 66 days of 20-day chunks, you know, the first 20 days is going to be hard. The next 20 days it's going to be a bit messy, a bit awkward, a bit clunky. But by the time you get to that third, that last third, it's going to feel easier to do that new thing than it was to do the old way of doing it. So stick at it and, I don't know, set set up some accountability buddies or tell someone you're trying something on and, and hold yourself accountable and, and feel like you've got some cheerleaders because I think practising is the embedding piece. It's the piece where we can really embed some change in service cultures and, and see some amazing improvements. So if people want to know more about you, where should they go and what, what should they look for? And I will say I think everyone should go and buy the book. I think everyone should read it. I think it's uh, I'm a big advocate of leaders focusing on their customers. So where should they find yeah. out more about you? My website, JackieScammell.com, and um, everything you need to know is there. And uh, we'd love to help those in any ways, whether it's individuals, teams or organisations you know, or email me, which the details are on the website as well. Okay. Yeah. Any last comments on customer service leadership? Just bring it back to what's simple. You know, service is simple. Service is human. Service is, is a feeling. And um, let's just, you know, strip away the layers of complexity and just and come back to that because we all know how to do it. I think we've just forgotten. Jackie, thank you so much for being a guest on the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Uh, all the best. Thank you, Julian. Thanks for having me.
Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy and Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.